They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Admit I was a clone to be messing around, but that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. Come back. Oh, oh, sorry, 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 wrong with the recording. Then I didn't hear that. You went, you went out for a what with Pete? I've just been out. I've just been out filming with Pete for the day, which uh, very fun. No, Pete Reese, you know, the most frequently used guest in any podcast. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you, you've just been out? Are we are we pretending that this is later in the day or something? No, no. Uh, been out this morning, a couple of days ago. Yeah, two oh, days, ago. days ago. Oh, yeah. just, oh, you just been out. You mean a couple of days ago? I think yes. you're like eight o'clock in the morning. What? <laughs> how, how early is he getting up to do work? Yeah, well, he's got a baby, so he's probably up at six anyway. But um, yeah, it's been out, with Pete, pretending that I can still run in a video, which. Uh... <laughs> Who's the video for? Is it is it is it a, a caffeine bullet production? No, it's a, it's a rat race one this time. They're they're doing. Oh fact, my wasn't... god! What what <laughs> kind of situation must they be in to be roping you into a video? What? <laughs> well, I think it's because Pete Pete wanted to. Uh, Pete knew I might be available. I need someone to... older. They've got too much of a younger <laughs> audience. Rat races races are very expensive now, and they need people that are a little bit older with a bit more money. <laughs> we've, we've just, I'm, I'm surrounded by too many young people. I'm going for the grey market, the silver pounds. <laughs> We've got there's a yeah, there's a seniors race that we're trying to promote, and you're the closest <laughs> we've got. It hundred percent. So um, yeah, we we kind of made a bit of a deal where he'd help me with some caffeine bullet stuff, and I'd come out and film. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's quite weird. We they're doing a race. Well, I, I don't know if it's a race. I think it's more a weekend adventure. I don't think it's t- you know timed um, winners and all that. But from London to Canterbury, Canterbury Tales, but. Being typical British weather, we started out 7 a.m., beautiful, blazing sunshine in London. And throughout the course of the day, then it started raining. And then by by the time we got to Canterbury, it was obviously dark because the light finishes so early. Um, so I don't know. It's going to be a summer race. So I'm not really sure that's how it's going to That's a pretty, pretty typical British summer. You do realise that's what happens in in. London, it's sunshine and it's light and it's beauty. And then you leave, you leave the confines of the capital, and it really is miserable everywhere. It's, it's a metaphor for life, isn't it? <laughs> it's a metaphor for. So, what's that? So, to Canterbury is that along like North Downs Way or something? Well, um, we weren't one hundred percent sure of the route, but it could be. That's always a good start on a new race. Because <laughs> actually, our our job was just to think of what looks nice in the middle, and let's run past that. Bit. Wait a minute, isn't that how Edinburgh? got started <laughs> well i think they were all on route so i mean in even in london it does we were thinking like, what's the nice bits from um, <laughs> you, you go to trafalgar square we go nowhere near trafalgar square <laughs> yeah. we, we, st- we're, we're true to that um, i think i think we're fairly true to the whole route but from start? um starts in southwark cathedral and then you make in it all southwark the way cathedral well that this is what I wasn't sure of either because we got there to film outside of the cathedral, but unfortunately the courtyard was locked. It is locked now, isn't it? Generally, I think they generally lock it now. You used to be able to go and sit in the all outside and everything. It used to be quite nice, but I, it is increasingly locked and like get off my never, 
type thing. I've never actually thought to go and have a seat in there so I'm, I'm not sure what the the setup would be normally but we then then had, had to go around the sides the Clatem side to film one of the other side entrances but being filming as soon as we got there two massive um white vans pulled up to just have a chat with each other I guess and so we then had a nightmare trying to create any kind of attractive shot with these Oh, yeah. Two white vans parked right in the the place that we'd want to film. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's 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 quite fun just just going along and, and doing all the filming. But it's amazing how random how, the luck of filming something nice is. And how many just, hours how many hours filming do you normally need to do for like a, a couple of minutes? Well, we because of driving, we finished at about. 6 30 so we did almost 12 hours well wow. yeah. and i i assume that would be a 20 30 second promo the thing is it's I, I suppose the thing is in england when you're doing that you're like right we're gonna really we're gonna struggle to find a few seconds of decent shot in all of that when you go to like namibia you're like how are we gonna <laughs> cut it down to only a few <laughs> seconds <laughs> yeah you were trying to you were you're trying to film this beautiful springbok and then a lion comes out and takes it down. But then a herd of buffalo <laughs> take on. Bloody hell. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's far. Like that. It's, it's, like far. That it's far east. So um, how are things with you, mate? All right. Yeah. All right. I've, um, I've not been very well again. Just classic, classic situation. Um, uh, let's, let's not talk about that anymore. You need to, um, do you use, What's, there's some tablets that echinacea. echinacea doesn't that help echinacea I did, start, I did start taking echinacea and that's pretty much when I started getting ill it seems to have the, the opposite effect because Libby goes right we had an allergic need, reaction to echinacea you definitely need to start taking echinacea because it, it's getting that time of year again I was like okay let's start taking it so we started taking it and uh and yeah pretty much got ill straight afterwards so I'm not blaming the echinacea there I'm just saying that whatever it is it's, it's over overpowered overpowered it but i think it's just it's just anyone that's got children that this is just the time of year they're constantly ill so we're constantly ill as well do you think potentially the last time you used echinacea you were ill and therefore you kind of coughed all your (laughs) ill germs onto the echinacea and they've just been hibernating and growing no 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 it's a it's a new bottle it's a new bottle okay yeah we don't we don't yeah we're not in a situation to eat old echinacea you don't want to do. You don't want to be in that state, that situation. No, I maybe maybe there's like an emotional reaction to echinacea that now I've associated it with illness. That when I take it, it's just a, it's a, it's like a psychosomatic uh, reaction to it. In so fact, you to, you're even saying echinacea is making my nose run. So, so you need to think of a time when you're at your peak of healthiness. What is what is it you eat when you're in that pizza. state of mind? Pizza. <laughs> I thought it'd be like a sangria on the beach or a WKD blue or something. <laughs> a WKD of then... ice, yeah. Yeah, you could then be like, oh, your body's like, oh. Still exists. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 100%. And WKD blues. I know WKD, I imagine it would exist, but I didn't know whether Smirnoff Ice still existed. Uh, I used to love Smirnoff Ice. I mean, Chad's got a chav. Chad's got a have. <laughs> it's just... Smirnoff Ice, when, when the pints of beer just get a bit too much, you're like, well, let's, let's break it up with a Smirnoff Ice. It's when, it's when you're too ashamed from peer pressure to have a shandy or a top 
you just throw a set span of fights in there and be like, that's much still, less 5%, still 5%. Still 5%. So, you... uh, what's, what's happening with the challenge? We are six weeks away from the end of the year. You've got to get sub-22 to stop yourself getting... I'm, 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 I'm saying that it's, um, it's like the election. No one really knows which way it's going to go at this stage. No one really knows. And are we, can we expect a park run on the morning of the Christmas party as the, the main event to see what this time's going to be? Um, we can do it. I don't think it's going to be the main event. But it's going to give a good indication with the like two weeks remaining <laughs> as to whether as to whether I need to start the Iron Man prep or not. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I'm excited or disappointed because I like, I I think if I had to do the Iron Man next year, I'd do the Iron Man next year. You're going to find any kind of way, like oh, my kids are really again to not do the Iron Man. I think if I had to do Iron Man, I wouldn't be able to. I, I definitely wouldn't be able to do it next year because I um, <laughs> I can't swim um, front crawl. Uh, I never learned it at school. I don't know how to do it. So I, I the, the quickest I way how to swim, and I don't well, think I, I'm going to be able to do that within. Well, when I've watched television uh, of the Olympics, the fastest way to swim is actually underwater. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't need to have fun. Wait a minute, weren't you weren't you supposed to be swimming the channel underwater? Yeah, oh that's true. Yeah. When when's that happening? I mean that was um it's the world world record for that's still not been broken. I need to learn to swim as well, to be fair. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> I need to... It's weird. I don't know why I don't know how to swim front court. It's like we learned to learn to swim at school and it was like I must have been off that week or something. And I've never you know, like oh, when you like finish at school or something, you just don't you, you don't go. Oh, do you know what? There's a, there's a skill that I I need to pick up. You just don't do it, do you? And so I I don't know how to I don't know how to swim crawl. And so I don't I've never done the breathing or anything else. So I'd have to completely learn that. Um, I was thinking about this the other day. Like what what actually would it involve? You know, just blithely you know writing off the fact. Oh yeah, I just need to you know, running bits sorted. Don't need to worry about that bit too much. Cycling, well, that's not going to be too difficult, is it? You just need to get used to sitting on a bike for that amount of time. But then it's the swimming bit that I'm like, do you know what? I I, I have no idea. I have no idea what what really to do in that situation. And I don't know how long it would take to learn how to how to learn how to swim front crawl and then learn how to swim and know how it's like swimming. It's an area I have no idea about. I don't have much idea about cycling, but, I, you, but I've been on a bike before. I don't know really how long it would take me to swim like 10 lengths or or anything. I have no I, I think not being able to, having to relearn front crawl is probably a better position than someone who's bad at front crawl because you're going to come in. I'm learning it. Well, having to learn it, I think is, well, is oh, probably you think it's better not better have, than not having, having to relearn. bad habits. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So, because realistically, if you're going to do an Ironman, you're probably going to get a swim coach for a week or two just to put you in the right direction. I mean, it's it's the area that. Well, you're not going to drown on a bike, are you? So, I don't know. I would. <laughs> you haven't seen me ride a bike. But um, six weeks out, I I honestly thought we'd be discussing. Like the fact you just run a twenty oh five 
and uh, you'd be like, well, well when am I going to... I did win a 20.05. Unfortunately, it wasn't a 5 kilometers. It's a 4K, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And do better. So if you don't know the terms of the bet, because we've been a little bit hazy about it at times as well, it was JD has to run... He's had the whole year to run a 5K in less than 22 minutes, which... I think he thought he'd just do off the bat. If he doesn't do that, he's got to run nine man. If he does sub 21, I have to run a marathon covered in peanut butter down the back of my legs, down the back of my trousers, on one of my hands. And if he does sub 20, I have to do the Ironman. So uh, six weeks out, all to play for. And probably by the time you're hearing this, we are weeks away from Jody's Ironman, essentially. It's the 1st of January, <laughs> 1st of January right? <laughs> Oh my god! I was trying to think. I was trying to not that not that I've um, I've given up already on this, but I was looking at when when an Iron Man would be next year, um, and I wouldn't want to do an Iron Man in. Uh, I don't want to do like Wales or Bolton. I think I'd go. Mm. I guess it'd be nice to do an Iron Man. Yeah, it's like, so there is. must be one in Athens. <laughs> <actually. laughs> no, uh, like uh, like France or Switzerland or something like that. I think. But if you go to France or Switzerland, they're probably going to throw the Alps in. No. No. They wouldn't do that. Well, um, what's, what's, the the what's, I, what's the flattest Iron Man? It must be one in Amsterdam or so, like somewhere in Holland or something like that. That's what we want. <laughs> yeah, that would be good, actually. I, I, there must be one in the whole of the Netherlands. Yeah. But, so that would be, yeah. And talking about things that are flat, from... <laughs> That's really good. That was a really, really, really good seg. So, um, no, listeners, do badders. We were sometimes controversial, um, hopefully in a kind of pro-justice, taking the size of the little man, little lady um, kind of way. But sometimes we, we somehow cause controversy for what we think is no apparent reason we don't really understand it. So, as we all know... Um, Ever since uh, I was I was a boy, I, people have been talking about kitlates, and um, it's only recently that they've been rebranded for Instagram um, by the kind of new the new kids on the block, kind of newfangled cool hipsters as flatlays, apparently. Oh, so and, oh, so yours it's a historic. Mm, uh, oh, okay. So the the connoisseur the connoisseur of uh, kit actually knows what he's talking about. Or, or that that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i think i reckon <laughs> none of you all of you who are criticizing you weren't you haven't been around as long as i have and believe me believe me i remember when um when back in in marathon when he'd finished his uh, his marathon and died the very first marathon the athenians used to talk about the the kitley that he'd he'd put out of his dates and his his sandals you know oh. and, and but do you do you remember um, uh, Roger Sabanister's uh, kit lay after uh, just before the four minute mile? Uh, he finished his uh, shift in the hospital, and um, he got a uh, he, he got he did he did his kit lay, which was a packet of cigarettes, yeah, uh, half yeah. a bottle of whiskey, uh, <laughs> yeah, coffee, and it coffee had um, for, for the hospital had some cigarette cards on as well with pictures of naughty women he could flick that um, was a little bit risque. But um, that, it, it turns out that um, people are quite adamant that they want to do their flat lays. And, uh, but they're not everyone. I think you can, 
there's there's been a little bit of uh, discussion in the group, a little bit of discussion on the the Holly Rush Facebook uh, Instagram post, and it seems to be split by how old you are, from what I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're if you're an old person <laughs> like me. Split. I'm putting Fee Silk into that older group. Sorry, Fee. Not that she, not that she listens to this bit. She'd have she'd have cut to the interview by now. But no, no. I've I've heard a good authority that Fee's actually listening to entire podcasts. Wow. Maybe because she said that they're better now. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna get that after today. Aren't you? Or she hasn't listened to previous ones. So. We've worn her down. But um, if you're if you're not a member of the Facebook group, do matters. Um, there's. There's been apparently, um, although I've I've not really been witness to a lot of it, um, a lot of flat laying in various forms. Whether that is a, uh, I can't even remember that. So people have been doing their kit, but then have have taken it further to anything, it's any like, word that. It's like the vest situation. It's got. It's one of those things where the joke um, is, if everyone's doing flat lays, then literally anything is a flat lay that's having a photo taken of it, and then. And then anything that kind of sounds like flat lay, <laughs> and then just random pictures with the word flat lay um, associated. So things like pictures of David Hay, you know, just uh, Michael just flat lay. Okay, so has there been a Michael flat lay? Loads, loads. That's the most popular one. Oh, that is good actually. I like that. I do like that. Um, so, but they, yeah. they, the whole point of those was they, they were supposed to antagonise you in particular. Oh, okay. <laughs> And well, the ones I, I saw, I thought I, were quite I funny. Point, I made the point. It's like I don't know why you're posting in this group because you're not always in it. So, but actually, if if flat lays were kind of witty, funny twists on standard setup jokes, then I'd be all for them. Um, I mean, if anything, we've done we've done a good thing. We've brought a bit of humour into what was a two dimensional terrible instagram page so, but, uh, so you, you, you by satirizing flat lays now or kit lays what are they called flat lays they're called a flat kit flat. <laughs> i think why but, um kit lay does make more sense as a word because you're laying your kit out flat lay why see, why do, what you see but it's these these people we just in the 16th century we realized that it shouldn't be flat and these these flat layers they're in denial <laughs> and they've come back in because of the rise of the internet and the power of youtube videos but i'm denying it i'm still denying it um but there's been quite a lot of discussion actually about instagrammers and influencers post holly because um yeah, it's interesting where where the do badders lie because some people are. I think we. I don't think I wouldn't say hit a nerve, but just. I don't is think there, people is there, really. Is there, is there a split between people that potentially want to be influencers and people who don't like influencers? Well, I, I think you're either someone trying to be an influencer or you're someone witnessing people trying to be influencers, and so depending on one of those, that probably determines slightly what you're saying but um there was some some really good chat to do with the fact that you know holly was saying that actually now some athletes are having to apply to be influencers because they can't get sponsored for kit themselves which is and we we go into in a in a couple of episodes time when we speak to a sports agent they they talk a little bit more about that um and and that is quite interesting because it is having a, a reshaping effect on the um the financial supporting of athletes in our sport um 
but yeah long may the the kit lay flat lay debate continue as long as it's not just really boring posts well I think it's, it, it, we're well past that now we are we <laughs> we're are well past, we're well past them being they're gonna be it's gonna be one of those situations where we have to go okay like between the admins right we're gonna have to just ban these now um because these are just they're, they're, they're getting bored and then there'll be new people coming into the group going oh michael flatley oh like oh god <laughs> please just do a search for it's like the vest situation which yeah. still rumbles on sometimes Although I've never really understood the vest thing other than you just say vest. It's, it's, it's like a game of snap, isn't it? Um, Every now and then, it's just a reminder. that Because sometimes you're, you're, you go to the BVR group and you think, actually, this is a wonderful, supportive place. People are doing great things. People are doing stuff. And then all of a sudden, you'll have another vest. And you think, oh, actually, it's a, it, it, there's some right fucking idiots in here. Yeah, yeah. So of, of which we are prime candidates. Oh, um, exactly. I know. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm saying that's that. That's the baseline by which you have to judge it. All of those inspirational things, supportive things, those are all outliers. The baseline is best. But I, um, I have some some news, some good news. So we we often have a go at, at companies that are are doing bad, and we can talk about a um, a Greek god style running shoe brand later because there's even more controversy but um firstly i think we should reward companies that are generally doing good things so runners need in the uk they're doing a recycle my run program where if you take an old pair of trainers to them they give you 20 pounds off a new pair and those are then um those trainers are used in conjunction with a program to help um to help others with unwanted right. clothes and to to reuse them essentially which i think is great so mentioning them is like well done guys but also there's been a second pair of recycle recyclable trainers created jody you were saying you were saying it was a gimmick but there's a second gimmick now well, no well, no and i'm saying like in the the was it the other pair of Adidas, weren't they? For everything that Adidas does, one pair of recyclable trainers does not a green company make. That's all I was saying. But there's now a Reebok version, and I think it was... <laughs> I didn't even realise Reebok was still a thing. I didn't realise that... We were having this discussion at work, and uh, someone mentioned Reebok, and I'm like, they're a joke trainer, surely. Um, are they a joke trainer? I've just I've never really seen it. Well, I only thought they really exist now as a as a yoga and CrossFit brand. I didn't realise they still made shoes. Well, I think they that's that's how they've angled it. They they went in hard with Spartan. Yeah. And I think they've done a similar thing with with CrossFit, which is actually quite fle- clever. Where yeah, no one's going to wear your trainers otherwise. And so... <laughs> Yeah, unless you go to a brand that forces you to wear everything. Yeah. So you, you essentially approach a cult leader and say, can you convince all of your uh, God. your followers to, to wear us? And so, yeah, they... A shit sports brand needs to needs to get in touch with us because I think we can offer that. Yeah. A, a shit vest brand. <laughs> we would... Shit vest brand. There's got to be plenty of that. I mean, the wife beater has been out of fashion for some time now. Maybe we can bring the that in. wife beater. It's like a charitable wife beater. Yeah. In fact. And of course, when we say wife beater, we don't literally mean beating wives. This is a, a term um, used uh, in jest in the UK um, about uh, uh, vests. 
Well, isn't it? I think it didn't it come from the States because I, I thought it, it was from. Yeah, I thought the idea was it used to be whenever someone was arrested on the TV show Cops for beating their wife, they were always wearing that white vest. And that's why it became known as a wife beater, because oh, it, America. Yeah. Yeah. It's it was just a look that wife beaters for some reason seem to deploy. And um, yeah, and that's now become common parlance, I guess, worldwide. But I mean, that would be exciting, wouldn't it? To see not wife beating, but to see <laughs> no, uh, what, what direction are we going to hear? <laughs> to see a bad boy running um, vest on cops. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if cops is still going because that would be the complete loop of the bad boy to be if you could get in the title sequence of, of cops yeah when they're playing bad boy in a bad boy running wife beater i mean that surely has you've just got to win you've got to win bad boy running for all time you might have to you might have to sacrifice <laughs> so your free time to get there say again so american listeners Yes, they're American listeners. Do we know anyone who happens to be a producer of the TV show Cops or <laughs> is prepared to go to jail for a long time just for the sake of our podcast? Because uh, we need you. We need you. So it's an article by Mary Kane, who was one of the, well, the fastest runner in America at the time as a junior, broke all sorts of records and you know, real talent, went into Project Oregon with Nike. And when she was there, was essentially fat shamed about her weight, um, which it seems. Who by what? By the coaches? Yeah, by Salazar. Yeah, um, Uh. sometimes publicly in front of the group, and you've got to wonder who who was there when when they were doing that because imagine. It just seems to be quite common though. That the British Mm. cycling team, the same, all all the female competitors there. Um, complain about exactly the same thing like these sort of old, old school coaches mm. making them feel like shit about their weight and uh, yeah they probably have legitimate concerns about the weight and things like that but it seems to be done in this you know like aggressive in a horrible way, way. yeah yeah and, and imagine being and, and I don't know if, if you had if you had Mo Farah there when she was actually being embarrassed but imagine being kind of 16 17 year old girl um and you're wanting to be the best in the world and in front of olympic gold medalists you're being fat shamed i mean the amount of pressure that would put on you to think you need to lose weight it would be colossal but she ended up getting to the point of self-harming and at that stage her parents pulled her out because they realized it was obviously terrible for her in every way um but yeah it does it does seem to be a theme i and i'd forgotten about the, the british cycling there was also another case of and this one i don't think was necessarily a coach bullying or anything like that but there's a really interesting case with a a junior in the uk who was yeah. also very talented called bobby clay and she was essentially overtraining for what for her age and also under eating and training the whole time on heavy impact um, surfaces, so kind of road and track. Yeah. She she was in a group where one of the the short shortcuts to get quicker was seen as losing weight or staying light, and so 
she got into she was the combination of the two meant she she stopped growing really and she got to five foot four foot eleven and stopped growing she wasn't developing she wasn't um you know getting her periods or um really hitting puberty at the age you'd think she should and ended up getting osteoporosis where she was breaking all of her bones the the calcium from her bones had been bleached and then sorry leached and so it does seem to be actually there's i mean ultimately the the coaches in most clubs across the world are men because we've come from a, a male dominated society and it's it's only now that we're getting kind of more parity and it will take a while for that to filter through and we don't you know as as men they just don't know we don't know and i'm sure there are some great coaches but we don't know much about female physiology and we don't know about um and and it's also for a lot of blokes they're not happy to talk about periods or puberty or the fact that women have different body shapes even at the absolute top end and so it it does seem to be a real issue for for the sport don't you think though even if they did know about it then they're not really going to change their coaching technique if their coaching technique has been shaming people in front of each other Mm. the thing is you know I don't know. I don't know. You know, it it may happen to 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 men as well. It's just the difference mm. is that you know, um, uh, men never want to open up about it happening because they feel like they should kind of suck it up. But if it's happening to you know, if it's happening to men as well, um, but they're not saying you know that culture of bullying continuing for 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 that amount of time but that's just you know it's one of those things it's kind of endemic isn't it you don't really know mm. until something goes wrong like no one no one would have whistleblowed on anything to do with british cycling until like the it started opening up about the drugs it takes one you know one little thing to open up and all of a sudden you know everyone feel everyone feels like that um because no one no one ever wants to speak out do they especially when it's yeah. threatening their threatening their career and it's the only route you can go through um well that's the thing how do you take on if say salads how do you take on the people that are responsible for your entire career and the funding for your entire Mm. career it's like you're it's it's like a it's like a you know a monopoly isn't it that they you can't fight against and then even linked to that, Salazar and Nike, and if you look at how much they were both fighting the press and trying to muzzle the press on the the stories to do with them cheating and taking drugs. And so you think, well, there's no way, even if, if Mary had come forward before, that it would it would make the headlines and it would be buried or it would be negotiated out with favourable access to Mo Farah or someone like that. And so you've 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 got to wonder whether that this is happening. If, if this is just endemic across the world, we just haven't been aware of it. <clears throat> and 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 it could it could just be the simple thing as well that men get a lot more testosterone when they're in their teens and so we're naturally putting on muscle and uh, weight at a higher rate and that's seen as a good thing and there's a bit of old sexism into how we view um, what men and women should be doing and how they should be training but ultimately we need to be protecting, protecting all teenagers in something like running because running is a sport where you can just train yourself into the ground and you shouldn't be training flat out 
for the whole of your teenage years because it will have an impact on your body at the time but also for life um wasn't there some concern i can't remember whether it was in the uh, in the documentary about um um mo farah but there was about it was there was concerns about overtraining then weren't there around around that the fact that he had lost so much what he was like so skinny and mm. he was doing it. and i can't remember whether that was something that was being enforced on him or something that he said was his choice but that's definitely something that seems to be kind of a theme around that yeah and and that's always a balance i think with when you're at the top end because once you are training as hard as you can once you're tra- once you once you've got all the nutrition and you know all these things how do you where do you get your extra yeah. extra third of a percent and a lot of people epo yeah epo a lot of people EPO, that's EPO. it that's the, the uh, <laughs> testosterone uh, whatever what was the question adrenaline what is it <laughs> yeah, well, yeah all those potentially but um and that's the thing and for a lot of people the answer is to to lose weight because the lighter you are in theory um it doesn't work that way because you're going to lose muscle mass the as well you but... are to slip past the drugs testers yeah 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 <laughs> you can't you can barely see me anymore <laughs> but but even if you if you drop below a certain body fat then you're far more prone to getting ill because you've got all sorts of vitamins stored in your fat as well um and so it does help with your defenses but yeah really interesting and it, it'll be I, I don't know whether this is the tip of an iceberg we're going to find out a lot about other females in sport who've, who've had these issues and it almost feels inevitable because we've got a sport that is dominated by male coaches who who know best and I think that just happens in all walks of life wherever men have too much power they get it wrong quite often sadly well, the thing is they just do what they do don't I mean like that's so many mm. so many sports are dominating that way it, you know um if you watch things like um you know moneyball or anything like that it's just that's the way it's always been done and it's like entrenched mm. and you know and it hasn't been male dominated but it's also been dominated by entrenched thinking as well and 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 kind of protectionism as well from from the the people at the top i mean you know i <laughs> i'm sure I'm sure you know it wouldn't be surprised to say that you know the uh, the heads of the global organisations of some of the biggest sporting uh, federations um, are probably not the most representative um, or the mm. most thinking or uh, the most open to uh, accountability. Um, and so, and when you have a situation like that, that's that's exactly what's gonna what's gonna occur. Um, you know, what is is there a is there a program to even get? like more female coaches i mean like i don't know is there... yeah i don't know if there is because the thing that... is every time every that, that's really how how sport has progressed when sport like british sport decides to do something about it mm. and focus on it we do it really really well like we go okay this is how we're going to win the olympics this is how we're going to you know, win you know more mm. medals in the olympics that's what we do this is how we're going to get more um more women into rowing well you know well very specific you know that whole sporting giants um program that that they went down and you know mm. and it had it had a bit and so is there is there some is there a, a similar thing in order to get more more female coaches in because that would make that would make sense i mean they've got to be good yeah. and that's and, the thing and if they're not you know if, if there aren't good ones coming up what what needs to change maybe there is maybe there isn't we don't know it but it takes years and years to 
for it to for it to come through. It's difficult because you're you're competing with going with what works and what's going to win in the mm. short term with how do we create a better environment around around sport in the long term and actually and, and maybe it's more maybe you can because we, we don't necessarily have to throw everything out maybe it's a case of instead of because it's going to take as you, as you say a, a long time to have parity in sexes of coaches but maybe it's a case of just having physiologists and doctors actually involved more in the coaching for when you become coaches you know what the the classifications that you need to go through in certification to become officially recognized ea coaches maybe there should be components of that training that is to do with physio- female phy- physiology i think and- it's very difficult i think it's very difficult though i think i uh, i think um to teach someone about physiology of women and get them to train them is very different from being a woman training women yeah i think definitely, i, I think definitely. You, you know there's a I, I think there's a definite benefit of, of it, anyone um in a particular situation training someone of a uh, of the same sex or same body type or something like that 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 always works better because there's yeah. always that they they just properly understand what that means and i think if you don't feel that or don't understand that it's very very difficult to um, to do that the closest you could do is 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 talk about a track record of working with people like that um and actually that that reminds me of a really interesting pocket complete tangent but do you ever listen to revisionist history with malcolm gladwell no really good podcast obviously never listen to it listeners until you've done all 180 episodes of bad boy running but once you've finished those um 190 now 100 we're 10 away from 200 oh boy wow um so here's michael gladwell if you don't know listener he is the writer of freakonomics he's a a, just very interesting very clever i think he's the writer of freakonomics he was freakonomics wasn't he no don't think so Oh, I know that's you're right. Um, so Mike is it Robert Dubner or something? Like that? He was uh, freakonomics. He was uh, outliers. Nudge, outliers. Nudge, outliers. Tipping one. point. Tipping point. Tipping point. That's it. So he's now got a podcast where he looks back on history, majority of, of it, the states, but where you look back at things you think you know, or if you look back at the interpretation of certain events, and he actually analyzes it from a a more woke perspective or a more informed perspective but he was saying about how um when they looked at integration of schools and people then made judgments based on you know what were black kids like what were white kids like in terms of their education and how they progressed the massive issue was that they essentially closed down all the black schools fired or then didn't employ any of the black teachers and so suddenly the issue wasn't that the black schools are bad and the white schools are bad um, and and the white schools were good the issue was that they integrated which on the surface of it you think this is a good step forward except they were all being taught by white teachers and as you say there's a massive difference between being taught by someone who you can associate with, who maybe not have a ingrained racism against you and even have a, a point to prove. Oh. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and also there's, there's just the, like an empathy, a situation there. Mm. I think it makes, makes, mm. makes a difference. It always makes a difference. So, you know, I'm not saying it's a hundred percent, but it, mm. You know, it, it's always, especially like when you're young, you're growing up and you understand like the issues that people are facing. 
it always helps to have someone there who has some kind of empathy and especially because i think the if you look at science like training science running science physiology science it's all based on studies of men and you need a female there who instinctively knows that no this is complete horseshit when it comes to women because as far as our coaching techniques and our theories they're all based on men and it could be very different for the the female physiology and we're not going to know that and and I, I think only people who have who who've, within themselves instinctively know it's it's different will be able to actually move away from what is seen as um the common knowledge or accepted accepted approach and, and that's yeah. why we need yeah but um in fact, this segue is very nice. That is a very, very good segue, actually. This, yeah. Well, we do bad. Is this is an unbelievable story where um, I did a ter- well, we did a terrible job, but I, I first int- introduced who we were talking to without really explaining it. <laughs> but we uh, we've got a couple of people on who are telling the story of when Mighty Mo, as a fifteen-year-old girl, broke the world record for the marathon just let that sink in every the word of that is true. <laughs> yeah the fastest marathon in the world at the age of 15 take it away nick so listeners we've got one hell of a story for you today when i first read about this I listened to the details and then I thought they've, they've got a typo on a lot of the numbers involved in this because it's just sensational running, sensational story. Um, to explain it further, please welcome on the podcast Maureen Wilson and the writer of the new book, Mighty Mo. Just Amy, Maureen. there we go. Maureen. Maureen Mancuso. She used to be Maureen Wilson, which is a little tricky because she was when she was 13. But Maureen Mancuso now. Ah, uh, Okay. Well, where should we begin? uh with uh you know with 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 the record so that that maureen as the as 13 year old broke the women's world marathon record so that i probably should have led a bit more there as a host so it shows my <laughs> lack of competence there but um to set to set a bit more context maureen broke the world record as a 13 year old in the marathon um and it, it it sounds like that shouldn't be possible couldn't be possible but it actually happened. But Maureen, what, why don't you tell us how this came about? Well, I was running with a club, and my coach was really uh, pushing pushing the boundaries for women in long-distance running. Uh, they weren't allowed to back in those days, and so he, he kind of pushed it um, to two miles to five miles. He got it up to around five miles. And then I was running this race against this prominent runner, and um, she was like 17 or 18 and I was 13 and we kind of, you know, when you race against the same people, you kind of know where you're going to end up at the end. <laughs> so there were two girls and we thought, well, they'll battle it out for first and second. They'll be up there. And then we'll, you know, we kind of have our race going on back here. <laughs> and so one of the girls, one of the, one of the two front girls got tired and she slacked off and I, I passed her and then I looked and I just saw the one and I thought, Oh, I wonder if I can catch her. And so I decided to give it a try. And so I did catch up to her and we battled it out for about half a mile. Um, and she, she won. But when we came out, when we came out of that, my coach was like, um, he couldn't believe my um, endurance. And so he said, it's too bad that they don't have a marathon. 
for women. And then that was the seed was sown from there. And uh, shortly after that, he tried to get it going with the Amateur Athletic Union, and they didn't want any part of it. Around the same time as I was running the like um, running that race against the prominent runners, there was uh, Catherine Switzer was doing her run in, her infamous run in Boston, and um, my coach heard about it, and so he he said he was he's setting this race up with myself because basically at the end of it, the AAU said, I think they said they we didn't have their blessing, but they could go ahead and do it. They couldn't find anything in the rule book to say that we couldn't do it. So they just said, you know, go ahead, but we're not behind What, what were their main objections to, was it your age or was it the fact you were female or, or combination of both? So both. Female. So, so both. So, um, I, sorry, Maureen, just going to jump in here for a minute. It's okay. Um, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So women were not allowed to run marathons. So, you know, that, that, that infamous Boston marathon race where, um, Catherine Switzer was pulled out, um, pulled out of the race by the race official. Like women were not allowed to register for, for marathons. So, um, Maureen, we think was the first woman to run a marathon in Canada, um, it just like wasn't done. So yes, there were marathons, but no women were not allowed to register. So there was that, but then there was also an age component. Um, you know, Maureen was obviously quite, quite young. Um, but you know, women were kind of barred from competing in long distances, no matter their age. So yeah, there were lots of objections. And, And what were the main, what, was there anything that was kind of repeatedly you heard that was the main reason or was it just a blanket no without explanation? I mean, the reasons people cited were all sorts of ridiculous things, you know, they were like afraid. I mean, they really like were the range of just kind of sexism. Like after Maureen ran this race, somebody said like a a race official, like an AAU official said like it was pointless. He, he, he said that like, Oh, you know, Maureen's record was akin to like, pushing peanuts up a hill with your nose. Like it's just a pointless endeavor when women shouldn't be doing this to like people worrying that their uteruses were fall, would fall out or they would be infertile or just like completely ridiculous health things. Um, yeah. And so the, and, and, the, and that they just didn't believe that women could do it. Like it's a long race. They're like, no, there's no way that women, women could actually do it. And, and at the time, Maureen, what was it that, why did you want to do it yourself? Uh, it was push. I, it wasn't really out to push the boundaries. I wasn't out to change the world. Um, just my my coach suggested it, and and he said, "How would you like to go for the world record?" So it was kind of another goal, and, and so I said, "Okay." But but to be clear, like Maureen didn't even know what a marathon was. Her coach was like, yeah. "Hey hey, do you want a marathon? You want to run a marathon?" And Maureen goes, "What's that?" <laughs> And so then he explained it and, and, and she said, sure. But this was just like just weeks before she actually ran the marathon. They were training hard enough on a weekly basis that um, that like getting up to 26.2 miles um, in, in, you know, just like two or three weeks was not a problem. I mean, what type of mileage were you running then per week? What would be a what was normal? Well, that's a that, that's a good point that Rachel brought up, because um because the health issues that were brought up, um, the damage, if there was going to be damage from the marathon, it was already done. (laughs) 
because there wasn't a lot of training going on. So um, what kind of mileage we were doing. So interval training we had gotten into. Um, so we were doing 2440s, 20 by 440 yards, 24 by 220, 48 by 110. And then we would go out for long runs as well. And, and what was a long run back in those days? What kind of distance? We were doing, we were doing about seven miles. Per workout. If if I was to write a, a marathon plan for anyone now, even someone who was doing a kind of couch to marathon, seven miles certainly wouldn't be the longest run in in duration. <laughs> Once you decided that this was going to be a your, something you were taking on, did it did your training transform dramatically, or was it kind of more of the same but edging up? Uh, we just added some long runs in. Because we hadn't done a lot of the, the long runs, I just I just had a knack for endurance. It, I was just born with it. I didn't do anything special to get it. I just had it. And so the, the other training that we had done was long enough and hard enough to carry us through. And then when it came to the marathon, we, when we set the time, we just, because everybody was so upset about everything, we thought, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? We actually started that, like, what's going to happen here? <laughs> and so we just set a time that would just uh, come underneath the, the current real, world record and went for that pace. So I think, I think for the shape that I was in, and if we had the knowledge and like charts where you transfer it to prediction charts to, of what your marathon time could be or should be, um, then it would have made it easier, but we really didn't have anything. And so we just literally took the world record pace and went slightly below that. And so that slightly below that was like seven minutes, 30 second miles, which for Marine was very slow. So she was like trotting around, you know, in these five mile loops because the, the marathon was like consecutive five mile loops. She was just like trotting through these five mile loops and people are like, how are you doing? How's everything going? And she's smiling and waving to them and saying like, oh, everything's great. I'm doing great because <laughs> she had trained so hard because she was so fast because she had such good endurance because she'd been working on it for years. Um, no, to be you fair, know, the, that, the world that... record pace wasn't that bad for Maureen. But even so, I, I would argue that on your first marathon, a lot of people behave in that way, not knowing what, what's going to come in that second half. Oh, so w the reasoning behind that is because there was so much controversy, it made us doubt, like, are we doing, what are we getting into? And so my teammates were at the five-mile mark. So each time we came around, they were like, are you okay? And it's like, yep, we're fine. Like, when nothing, you know, nothing out of nothing bad happened. There was no so, ball. There was no, yeah. Yeah, nothing bad happened. Maureen was running with her coach. It was his first marathon. He then went on to become, like, much later, like a world record holder in the number of marathons that he had run. But, and um, even but at the time, the coach didn't know how to train someone for a marathon. No, no, no. So it was his first marathon. And he was, you know, by the end, he was, you know, sitting on the side of the road, nursing his feet. Like, he definitely had a really hard time with this first effort. But Maureen didn't. I mean, Maureen, you should tell the story of, you know, the last mile, because I I think that just kind of goes to show you how well she had trained and how, how prepared she was for this race. Okay. So we had run the 25 miles. There was one mile left 
to go. And we had timers around the course to basically, you know, give us our, give us our time, let us know if we were on pace or if we were off too slow, too fast or whatever. So everything was like clockwork the whole way around. They came to one mile to go. And my mother said, you know, there was something wrong with my watch and you're not going to make it. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) perfect. (laughs) My head like, around like the exorcist <laughs> what as I'm jogging by and she's like you're not going to make it there was something something wrong with my watch and I just took off as fast as I could go and so I ran the last mile but we didn't have uh any clocks or anything so when I actually crossed the finish line I didn't believe that I had set any records and my teammates are like, oh, way to go. And I said, thank you. But, you know, I didn't get the record. And they're like, oh, yes, you did. And I said, no, I didn't. My mom said <laughs> my mom said I was off and I wouldn't get it. And they're like, oh, no, you got it. You, you definitely got it. So, yeah. So that was how that went. And Maureen, just how fast did you run that last mile? So you were doing 730 miles. And then that last mile, how fast did you run? Six, six, between six and 630, I think. Wow. I'm not sure the exact time of it. And I'm assuming, you know, you did, you hadn't fueled with, there were no gels at the time. And did you, had, had you had enough nutrition for the marathon <laughs> to be able to run that at the end? Was that just natural talent? I think it was actually like some kind of nutritional drink. Uh, I don't think and, so. And was your mum, did she just make a mistake or... Does she have a sadistic side where she just likes I, exactly. to? Amazing. So, I mean, before this, then, because you, you've mentioned that the officials weren't allowing you to run and were suggesting it was a bad thing. Were you getting the same reaction from people that you knew at school and from friends and family as well? I didn't really talk about it to people outside of the track world. So it was mostly the running community that I would have spoken to about this, anything that that went on. So, so her parents were mean, very I, supportive. Her parents were really, really supportive parents. I mean, Maureen traveled all over Canada. She traveled to the U.S. She was, I mean, like they were very involved. Um, her mom got a, a, a job on the weekend in order to help finance her races. Like they were really, really supportive, um, amazingly. And um uh, but yeah, Maureen just didn't tell anyone like when they were running at school. So they, I don't know, say they'd run and pee at school or something. Maureen like would not go all out. She'd just like hang back. Not, she would not, <laughs> she would not talk about, you know, she comes home on Monday or whatever back from just winning the world record and she doesn't tell anyone about it. And why was that? Um, it wasn't really an accepted sport at the time. So if you talked about it outside of the running world, people didn't understand. So, for example, when we were in practices and we'd run around the neighborhood, they would make fun of us and they would yell at Like every single time we went out for a run through the neighborhood, we would get yelled at and not just by kids adults too <laughs> where's the fire <laughs> you know <laughs> look at the baggy sweatpants so yeah it was so you just you you knew where it was accepted and where it wasn't and just i just avoided it 
When, 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 I, when we were reporting the book, um, we went and visited Maureen and she was like driving us around to kind of some, you know, notable spots and her running history. And she like drives us to the cemetery and she's like, oh, this is where I liked running most. Why, Maureen? Why? <laughs> Nobody yelled at us. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was dead. There was no one to yell at her. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when you when you finished then and you had shown that well not only had had a woman run a marathon but a 13 year old female had run a marathon I mean, what was there a reaction from any press from the the governing bodies the the people who'd been no says before when when i crossed the finish line and the and the kids were finally convincing me that I had made the world record. Um, an official came up and he said to me, did you run that whole race, young lady? And I looked at him and I said, yes. What's that about? That was the weirdest question, you know? So um, they said, oh, they didn't believe that you could have done it. So I mean, they were questioning I, I, whether they were going to give it to me or not. Oh, so that was the official record um, of Invigilator. I, one of the yes, official. One of the officials. One, one, okay. one of the officials. I mean, they had they had people kind of tracking the whole race. Like there were there were people on every corner. Ma- Maureen was running with people yeah. um, the whole time. So there was, you know, it was a ridiculous question, but. I ran the first three laps with my coach, and then after he dropped off, I ran with uh, my teammates would run uh, the the last two loops. So somebody ran the fourth loop with me, and somebody ran the fifth loop with me. <laughs> and, um, so they just couldn't believe. There was no reason. They just couldn't believe that it could be done. <laughs> so, and, and um, did it and make... Then, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Moy. Um, and then from there, your question about the media is like um, a lot of the media stood up for me, but they would report what people had said. So the officials, it was more the the people who run the amateur athletic union, um, the, the officials, I guess. Um, they were the ones questioning at the most, and they were the ones that were saying the negative stuff afterwards. And the press would defend me, but in the... In the defense, they would be telling them what they were defending me on. So, in, mm. for instance, the British Olympic coach, former British Olympic coach, who said it was like pushing peanuts up the hill with your nose, what's the point? And um, I'm surprised her mother would let her do that. And it was just a lot of negative. Uh, it, it was a great run, but so what? That was another one. Um, so there was a lot of negative stuff, but it wasn't that the press were being negative. It's just they who were negative because that was the re- that was the news. That was the reaction. And, and do you think that was because they were angry they'd been proved wrong? Um, I don't know. What do you think, Rachel? <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just, there was so much, um, you know, like women at that point were not allowed to run more than 800, the 800 in the Olympics. Um, You know, there were just, there was just a lot of officials who thought that this is not, women should not be running. It's not appropriate for women to be running. 
Um, and, and you know, they were just men. sticking to it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't That's just a- men. It was women also who said, I think it was, you know, people can't handle change, any kind of change. And sometimes there are just barriers that need to be broken and or removed. And, and I think it's that change that people feel threatened and they're fearful of it. And so did it then create some change with who was allowed to enter races, races or what distances were seen as being acceptable? It did. It did. So um, a couple of different avenues. So I think I may be getting the state wrong, but like maybe a year later, there was a marathon, the first marathon to open up. Uh, was that what is it? The, Maureen, the police games marathon oh yeah 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 Uh, it was the first marathon in I think maybe North America I may be getting that wrong to open definitely Canada the first marathon in Canada to open up um, its registration to women women officially and a teammate of Maureen's um, won won that race Um, and so that that was a really big change and then also uh, there was a prominent coach in Germany who heard about Maureen's record and was like, oh, well, if she could do it, you know, then maybe my girls could do it. And so then he staged a race um, and it kind of like, you know, like her race was a spark that ignited more interest and that interest carried through. And it, and it really did, you know, before Maureen, I think it had been a couple years since somebody had broken that record. And after Maureen, the record started falling a lot faster. So why was it then you, you decided to give up running, Maureen, when it seemed as if the, you know, the world was changing, things were coming around to your favour, and obviously you'd, you'd show yourself, shown yourself to be such a talented runner? I just, I think it was, well, it was partially the social, because uh, social, the kids in the track club were very important to me, and they started leaving the club one at a time. And so they were all gone by that point, and I just, um, I think burnout, like doing it six, seven days a week, uh, uh, as hard as you could from the age of 10, and I was pushing 16, and it was just... Um, yeah, and there were a couple other things, too. Like, Maureen had a, re- had a coach that was incredibly supportive of her running, that just, like, completely got her drive and got mm-hmm. her enthusiasm for the sport, and he left. You know, her friends were leaving the club, so she was losing her community. Um, You know, and I had talked to a couple other women, too, about why they left. And there was just there was also just nowhere to go. Right. Like Mm -hmm. your goal could not be the Olympics, because if you were a long distance runner, there was not a sport. There was not a race for you. You know, there were no scholarships to university for women running, you know, and, and to work has incredibly hard. They were gone every weekend training, hmm. you know, that, that, I, that'll take a toll. Also, you know, to be Catherine Switzer was older when she, you know, did this kind of amazing thing that broke barriers for women, but Maureen was 13. Like that's a really hard burden to carry to be the one who's the subject of all of these articles every week. You know, people not always being that supportive. You've got to think that over time, that's, that's got a grade on you, you know, like Maureen's enthusiasm for the marathon. She ran, I think two more after this first one, you know, to never, to did not enjoy it after that because there was so much controversy. Like it sucked the joy out of this thing that she was great at. So, so at the time, was it, it almost did it almost become a, a burden that wherever you went, everyone knew who you were, and and it was always the key focus. 
Um, no, because nobody, um, it, first of all, it wasn't uh, established as a world record for many years later. Uh, so it was, it was called, called the world's world best. best. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Did they change that, Rachel? Or I had heard that I they did. I know it was in the Guinness Book of World Records. So. so basically what's happened is it's been acknowledged that all of these records happened, but because they were not sanctioned by the Amateur Athletic Union, like they, they couldn't be official because the Amateur Athletic Union didn't sign off on them, which is deeply unfair, right? These people mm. are doing these amazing things and the governing body is not allowing them to be official. So I think now we're looking back at these records and saying like, oh yeah, it's silly that we're not counting this as an official world record because... Um, because we weren't forward thinking yeah, enough, basically. Because we weren't yeah. forward thinking enough. So now, yeah. instead of the world's best, we're acknowledging it for what it is, which is a world record. And and you, you it was mentioned that you did two further marathons and that it, it didn't really have the same joy to you. Um, firstly, how did those go? But um, also, what was different those times? Um, they were slower. I wasn't into it. I, I, I think that I had, because the marathon was so different from anything else we were running and we were mm. going for the world record, I didn't see any, I just associated it with the world record. It wasn't, I don't, I don't think it was something by that point that I really wanted to, to, to make a focus. Mm. And so I didn't. <laughs> and so but- they were, they were they were, yeah, go ahead, Rachel. <laughs> Sorry. I feel like, so I'm like, man, I basically need to let, like chime in here and explain why Maureen is amazing. So like she did this, she did this marathon, uh, the boardwalk marathon. It was a summer race uh, in Toronto and she like, she's running and of the race and she's like, I don't really want to run this. And her mom's like, well, just finish it. And so she goes, oh, okay. And she comes in first. Right. So not, she's saying she's not into it. And I think that's true. And yes, like maybe she wasn't quite as fast, but she's still doing very well, to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel's my supporter, <laughs> my huge supporter. And, and how when you look at the running world now, I mean, how, how what, what do you think of, of, of how running is for women currently? And, and do you think we've we've kind of got there yet? Or do you think there's still quite a long way to go? Well, one thing I think is amazing is the way the running community comes together. And it, it it's just, it's like a mini version of the club, but it's grown globally. The amount of support that people give each other, um, celebrating their vic- victories, lifting them up when they feel like they didn't do so well. It goes into their private lives as well. Um, it's just, and it's funny because uh Years ago, when I was running, it was, if you were a long-distance runner, it was considered weird, and you were you were a loner. <laughs> if you see if you see the running community today, that couldn't be farther from the truth. And that is that is that is the main reason that I kept going for so long was because it was such a a network of friends and support, mm. and yeah. I, I guess that's so, one of. The- that the, the issues of being a pioneer is that you're the first one. So there aren't hundreds of people there with you who are, who are there to support you along the way. Right. Everybody in the she, running community did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Always had a tight, you had always had a tight group. So Maureen was, you know, when she quit running, she kind of quit running in an, in an organized way, but continued kind of running 
personally, but then she came back to running uh, years later in her fifties. And, you know, like actually she ran a half marathon and was at the start of the half marathon. And it was really like a completely different experience than she'd experienced in the, in the sixties, right? Like where she would start races and there would be like maybe a dozen or so kids, you know, at these big races. And now all of a sudden she's at the starting line with like thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people. Maureen, can you talk a little bit about what that first experience coming back was like? Yes. Um, so the race that Rachel's talking about is um, one where uh, a gentleman, John Chipman from CBC, brought Catherine Switzer and I back together. We hadn't seen each other since the run 42 years before. And he called me up and he said, how'd you like to run a marathon? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and I just started running. So he said, well, Catherine's agreed to do the half. And I said, okay, I'll do the half. And so... He reunited us, and she said to me, "Have you picked up your picked up your race kit yet?" And I said, "What's a race kit?" <laughs> I didn't know what it was. And she said, "Are you going to the pasta dinner tomorrow?" And I said, "I heard about that. What is that? Like, what do they do there?" <laughs> so I didn't know about that. And then she said um, about the race kit. So I guess the dinner part came up first, and then the race kit. And then she said, you know, you get your bib number in it. And I said, oh, yeah. And she says, and your chip. And I said, what's a chip? I didn't know what a chip was. And then she said, she asked me later on, what corral are you in? And I said, what's a corral? I didn't know what that was. Like, everything was so different. <laughs> and then when we first started, the, first started the run, the sound of the footsteps was just, it was incredible. I had never heard anything like that. I mean, I remember one race years ago that um, we were in and we were shocked that there were 28 people in it. I think it was in Baltimore, the one in Baltimore. I think there was like 28, 29 Mm -hmm. runners in it. And we were just so excited. We looked and we went, look how long the lineup is. The line of runners at the (laughs) starting line. And when you were there, did it, was it a very different relationship you kind of felt you had with running and, um, and did you feel you were getting different things from, from running the race? The second time? Yes. Oh, when we, the, the race that we were originally talking about with Catherine. Yeah. So when you're doing the half marathon. Yeah. yeah. So, so that one was, um, so we started off laid back. I just um, joined uh, a running group maybe four months before that something like that. And um, where was I going with this? <laughs> well, even talking about that, what was it that brought um, you back into that running group to start with? What made you decide to run again? Oh, my daughter started running. And so I, you know, I sat through a couple of races and uh, I, I, a lot of her practices. And then I just thought, you know, I should, I should get up instead of sitting here. I should get down and start doing something myself. And uh, it just sparked it, right? Like you're on the track and the track to me feels like home. (laughs) It's a very comforting feeling to be at the track, I guess, because you just leave everything else behind. So, um, yeah, so that's what brought me back to it. 
Oh, and and then so when Catherine and I were running, it was laid back in the beginning, but I am very time focused and that never went away. And so <laughs> we spent the first little bit um, running together and chatting. And then she said, you go ahead, you know, because she knew I was like time focused and she was like making everybody's day, be, you know, getting pictures. And, you know, <laughs> so it was really, really nice. So, um, yeah, so I left and I still, I still had the time on my mind to make the best. I had no idea, again, no idea what I was doing um, time-wise, like not knowing. Well, actually, the first one I did, what my focus was, but the second one, I didn't really know um, what time to go for. And did, so. did, do you, would you say you've still got that um, inner ability to run that you had when you were a child it's it's there yeah it's still there for sure i have to so i ran um, my co-author and i ran a for a year ago it was like a five mile race and um you know we ran together and the, the you know we we were all set to run together which was great um but there's this kind of like last hill we'd like picked off a bunch of people on the return on this five miler and um we're like running up this hill and my co-author looks at Maureen and me and I'm, I'm struggling a little and he, he looks at us he's like you know we only have a little bit left you know we can really just kind of relax into the finish and Maureen is like now's not time to relax now's the time to like <laughs> you know, really like put in the work. And so she just like <laughs> speeds off and Kit and I are like, you know, just ha hanging onto her trail, like trying to keep up with her to the finish up this hill. Oh, that's not true. You guys did great. You were totally with it. <laughs> I was the one trailing on that one. <laughs> anyway, she kept us, yeah. she kept us going. She kept us, you know, like on the, she kept, us, she, she kept up the pace. <laughs> and what does your daughter make of it all? Um, I guess, yeah, she's, she's really into it. She, she's excited about it. She always wants to hear how my training's going because she also runs and, um, she's enthusiastic about what I did and the scrapbooks and things going through the pictures and the, um, the newspaper clippings and just different things that I have from that era that we went through together one night. So Maureen's daughter is a really amazing runner. So that, that run that we did, her daughter ran the half marathon and didn't win the women's division. She ran, she, she won the marathon, the, sorry, the half marathon outright. Um, oh, wow. She's like quite a fast no, runner. No, she, fast was runner. In, she was in our race, Rachel. She was, she, oh, she, she was did in the our, 8K. Oh, she did the 8K. Okay, sorry. She did the yeah. 8K and she, she won it outright. Um, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so she's, she's a really amazing runner and she looks a lot like her mom, like the younger pictures of her when she was about Maureen's age, they look very, they look very similar. Um, so maybe there needs she, to be a movie then where she can, she can play you Maureen and it will be yeah. a really good enactment. <laughs> so true. So true. Totally. And Carolyn, you know, when we talked to her for the, for the book and the first time we talked to her, she's just like, my mom's my hero. She's amazing. Um, and you know, you can totally see that in their relationship. Oh, that's incredible. And um, when you look at, at women's running now, um, do, do you do you have a sense of pride in in how it's changed and your involvement in that? I can't believe how much it's changed. That's for sure. And I can't believe how much interest and how much the marathon has done 
for not just women, but people in general. Um, and also all of the money that's come out of it for charities. Mm. Uh, it's just, um, it's just an incredible community. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and are you going to be a runner from, from now until eternity? Do you see yourself fully? Yes, but I need to learn how to run as a senior. (laughs) (laughs) My mind still knows how to run as a 13 year old, but my body doesn't quite keep up. (laughs) So uh, I have to work. I'm actually working on finding a balance because I have a tendency to go too hard and I can't do that at this age. I need to, you know, get more of a base. Mm. and move a little more slowly so i think that's the balance that i'm um that i'm working on right now and do you have another do you have a marathon in your sights no (laughs) (laughs) no it's too long (laughs) i'm too old um half marathon maybe even that i think would be well we'll see you never know never say never um, but uh, half marathon, possibly. And and bring it back to the the book. How did because you know this achievement we've all heard of Catherine, and and this achievement is it, it surpasses it. You know, Catherine's the first, but this is incredible um, in terms of how old how old you were and 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 the fact the time given your lack of training as well. But how, how is it that we didn't, didn't know more about this today and that it's not held up higher as, as I guess a real changer in society and, and how did you, how did it become a story for in the book? Um, Maureen, if it's okay, I'll take this one. Um, well, thank so, you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Catherine was a really, she was, she, she's done like incredible work um, you know, advocating for women um, and women in the marathon specifically. And Maureen, Maureen was so young, you know, so the, the record happened and then she quit running and that was kind of it, right? Like there was just not, uh, like she was not an advocate for her own mm for her own thing and her coach left and did something else, you know, it's just like the kind of the, the structure that was promoting this in Maureen's life dissolved. Um, and then the, the, the second thing is that, so John Chipman, this, um, this reporter, he found Maureen's name in a magazine that was given, uh, with his race packet, um, as like famous Canadians and he'd never heard of her. And of course her name had changed because she got married and he spent months looking for her, um, <laughs> finally found her, um, to this kind of amazing radio piece on her with Catherine involved. And then years later, um, Kit, uh, Kit Fox, my co-author, um, he found it and brought it to me and he thought it, he thought it was fake. He's like, this can't have been a real thing. But then, you know, listened to John's story and thought, Oh my God, this is actually real. This 13 year old actually did break the women's marathon record. This is incredible. Um, we need to go meet her in order to share her story because, um, you know, clear, like he was an editor at runner's world at the time and had never heard of her, you know, and his entire mm-hmm. job is, you know, is talking about kind of ama- amazing running stories. So, um, and so that's how that happened. We we inv- we we did a piece with, um, which was great. The podcast was called Human Race No Longer Around. And then um, in that podcast, 
Kit and I kind of look at each other and we go, you know, this is this is such an amazing story. This should be a children's mm-hmm. book. Like more people need to know about this. And then after the the episode came out, an editor reached out and said, "Hey, I'm a I'm a runner and I am also an editor of young adult um, fiction and nonfiction. I think this should be a, a young adult book. Would you guys be interested in writing it?" So you know, we talked with Maureen about it, and you know, thankfully she was on board. And so then we we went through the process of spending I think several years reporting and writing the story. <laughs> amazing well um we've got some questions from the listeners that we'd, we'd like to put to to you both if that's all right um first one is from martin hutchinson and um in the uk the national cross-country championship still is a different distance for men and for women so he just wanted to to get both of your views on, on what you think of that and, and why you think it hasn't changed and, and whether it you know whether it will change quickly and whether it should change um, I think if the women want to run it, it should absolutely change because they've certainly um, proven that they're capable and that they're not going to get uh, serious health problems from it. Mm. I, I don't know why they would make it uh, a shorter distance because it's been proven that they are definitely capable of the longer distance. So I, I don't see why it would be different. Yeah, I, th- I think it's just a case of it started off shorter because of those old views and, and things take a long time to change, sadly. Um, but there, there are, there are other, we've had other episodes we've discussed this actually, because it still seems to be that there's still people in associations across the world who are not allowing equality for some reason. Um, and, and do you, Rachel, when you've been researching the book and you've been looking into the, the obstacles that were put up, do you still see those around today in, in some associations and some um, organizations? So I would say that my expertise is definitely in the associations of the 1960s because that was the, the, <laughs> the majority of the work I did on the research is about the kind of historical like Olympics and um, and about the AAU in Canada and the US. So I'm not I'm definitely that's not my area of expertise, but I'm with Maureen. Like, I don't think there's any reason women should be running shorter distances. I don't think there's any anything that somebody could say to, to justify that. Yeah, I absolutely. Ran in the, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead, Maureen. Ran in the, I actually ran in the first world cross country championships. Amazing. When, when, where, where and what didn't was that, that? Didn't that come out in the book, uh, Rachel? The run in Scotland. Yeah, it was in Scotland. Yeah. Wasn't that the very first? Yeah, uh, I think either first or second. And and how was how was that? Um, was was what was, distance was that? And and how was the reaction at the time? Oh, I don't remember what distance it is. It was, <laughs> but uh, um, I, I I thought that this came out that it was the first World Cross Country Championships. When two point five miles. Two point five miles. Was it yep. the first one? The first World Cross Country Championship. Mm, I can look. You keep going. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. Um, and was there a similar um, resistance from the men even there, or, or was the community no. in Scotland? Did you feel that? all the people competing? Uh, 
it was very it was very supportive. I didn't get any any pushback for anything on on that that trip. And um, we've got a question from Paul Jukes that kind of links into this because you're, you're coached to to suggest to you to run a marathon is that's quite a bold move as well. Um, was did he come in for any slack as well for um, for putting you forward and for training you up to this? I think I think he was the one that did the most uh, pushing. So um, he, yeah, he he took a lot of flack for it. Um, uh, just by he was the one presenting it, and everybody else was saying, "No, it's not a good idea. No, it shouldn't be done. No, they can't do it. What's going to happen to them in the future?" Um, so yeah, he, he he took a lot of uh, criticism for it. But it wasn't something, like he, something that he just kind of fell into. I mean, his daughter was mm. in the club, too. He trained his daughter before he tra- trained Maureen. Maureen was the second member behind his daughter of the club. And he was definitely set out to push these boundaries. Like, he saw things that people said he couldn't do, and he would go to try to test that. He'd put the girls into races that, um, you know, they were too young to run in. He would put them in distances that they were too young to participate in. You know, he would kind of find obstacles like, oh, the women aren't allowed to run in a marathon. Sure, I'll put on my own. So he was definitely pushing the boundaries. Intentionally. <laughs> and, and did you have any role models that you looked up to at the time, Maureen? Um, I, I have to say um, Abby Hoffman, Roberta Pico, they were all incredible runners. Um, just going to the Olympics, the Pan Am Games, that mm. was, um, yeah, special. Just but I didn't have any, I didn't have any drive to, to go to the Olympics, which was really interesting because when we reconnected with all the kids, when Rachel and Kit were doing the book, we had a get together and they were like, oh, I always wanted to be in the Olympics. And I thought, that never crossed my mind. Like I, I was only 13 years old. <laughs> I didn't think it was uh, a possibility. I don't know. It just, I, I didn't have any drive for it. And also the, the first televised Olympics wasn't until the year after you'd set the record. So it's not as if the media was, was everywhere and it, it was such a, a populist thing to, to watch and to, to, to follow. Yes. The, I would say it was, it was more newspapers, news, news articles that, um, that we're covering the races as opposed to television. Mm, mm. And um, if there's, if, from what you know of the running community now, is there anything that you'd, you'd still like to change or anything that you think that hasn't caught up yet? Oh, I don't think so. I like it. You know, they say, Oh, you're so inspiring. And I look at them and I say, you're so inspiring to me. I mean, I had meals made for me and, you know, do your homework, go to bed, go to track practice and, you know, do your race on the weekend and every, but everything else was done. These, these adults, they have kids and they're training for marathons and they're just so inspiring. Like how they get all that done is it. It's mind boggling to me. I couldn't do it. (laughs) Well, (laughs) so, so they are my inspiration for sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's just an incredible story, and um, it's still still hard to take it all in, really. Um, so, 
congratulations firstly on what was an amazing run i will all be getting the book so um, congratulations on hopefully writing what will be a, a wonderful book to read and um well c- congratulations and thank you really for having such a big impact on on running and especially for women for you know, f- for years to come and forevermore thank you so much for having uh, having us yeah thank <laughs> you so much pleasure. for having us yeah. our pleasure thanks a lot bye okay thank you bye, bye now Jodie's side was we're having technical issues but we didn't realise this during the potty which is why it sounded like he, he just vanished but um I had just to... vanished I had just vanished I, I, I was I was I was in awe at uh, at the achievement but yeah I every time I it, most of it cut out so I didn't hear big swathes of it but everyone seemed to be talking fine so uh, <laughs> I didn't want I didn't want to interrupt didn't want to be like excuse me excuse me I can't hear can you please stop the conversation but the, the crazy, because it's quite hard to just get your head around because it's such a different culture in every way. And even when we talk about the Olympics, the what we think of the Olympics is not the Olympics then. What we think about the governing bodies of sports, they're all so different. Um, it, but, the thing is, is, I suppose this is something that's going to happen loads more. It's about like all these hidden stories are finally kind of seeing light. Now, you know, now that... It, it was interesting talking about, um, uh, you know, the fact that it was covered by newspapers and, and things like that. And, there, you know, there was a very, very limited, small amount of um, uh, of press. And so, you know, there was that huge editorial control over, you know, basically what people found out about and what people knew and, and everything. And, and because, like, we've had this, like, democratisation of, of information and, you know, people are... You know, a kind of like citizen journalist. People are you know taking up these stories and finding these stories just purely out of the fact that they love running or or you know they love discovering things. Finally, like some of these stories are getting like the kind of oxygen that they they long deserve. And so this is going to be great because this is going to happen more and more. You're going to have like you know all the people that we you know have traditionally seen as oh these are the big legends in the field and stuff like that. There's going to be just layers and layers of people achieving like much much more than you know not not more than them in a sense you know because they have done the Olympics or World Championship they've done all these different things but just like different types of achievements. I think like the whole of like in terms of like ultra running and stuff. I think there's a whole world of stuff to be mm-hmm. plundered in there of like absolutely crazy stuff that's going to come out. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. And isn't it? Interesting? Well, I hope so. Otherwise, we've got nothing. To, no, nothing <laughs> in the next twelve months of the podcast. That was a. That was more of a cry for help. Like, please, please, we're running out of content. <laughs> but also, um, but that's the thing. You, if you imagine if she'd have done that now, as because that it's we're talking about how times oh, change. But could you imagine? Could you imagine the social media backlash? If people people getting annoyed at, at Greta Thunberg because she's having speech against well, imagine a thirteen year old achieving something. Imagine imagine what people would be saying about the parents. Oh, exactly. Yeah, if because even part of me was like, oh, you're a, you're a thirteen year old girl who d- sounds like only did three or four weeks actual marathon prep and ran a marathon. <laughs> I'm not sure I would recommend that now. And that, and, and that is, is that just me being uh, conditioned? 
If the thing is, when it comes when it comes to the end of this um, uh, this podcast, you go. Can you recommend any other podcasts where similar things happened? It's only the one where we interviewed um, the guy who ran a marathon with no training. That that is <laughs> is the closest. It has the greatest parallel. And he the, nearly died. And he nearly died. <laughs> but the because there's obviously a thirteen year old. There's there's a huge variety of maturities of, of in 13 year olds because some yeah. some can be you know, closer to nine-year-olds in height and physique some can be you know adults yeah. but um maureen was four for eight and 80 pounds so you know she she was a 13 year old and a half um and and that's the thing now i i don't think that would be allowed to happen oh it wouldn't be allowed are you allowed to run a, the london marathon as a 16 year old even 17 year old i, don't know. I think 18 it, isn't it i don't know i don't know what the what the rules are and it, it's interesting as well they were saying how even now it's not a world record because they're saying it wasn't you know official according to according to our um, association there, there, there weren't there weren't enough drugs coursing through her veins for, for it to, for it to be an official yeah that's surely you should you shouldn't use that as an argument like we we were you should realize that the reason it wasn't official was because you were all terribly sexist misogynist yeah yeah that yeah it's not as if it was it had a it had a time it was um done according to um whatever the athletic association was doing there were times from that race that are official times therefore there is no other reason apart from just oh yeah we're not recognising it because we'd like to we we retrospectively ensure that our misogyny continues. Yeah, and then, and and that makes it worse because it's just almost like they're not accepting the fact that they were in the wrong at that time or at any time or um, yeah, very strange. But it's incredible how what does she what does she fuel on? And normally, if we speak to a I guess that's one of the first things you'd ask. You've broken a world record. You'd probably have your minute by minute breakdown of your nutrition. And uh, I think we had some like sugary <laughs> Ribena or something. It's almost <laughs> as though that was like, what? What do you, what do you mean? Like, it, it sounded like she breezed through it as well. It seems like it, the most, re- apart from the last mile, the most relaxed world record attempt I've ever heard about. <laughs> Yeah, and even but then you can imagine a thirteen-year-old doing it, couldn't you? Like your typical thirteen-year-old. Oh, oh, I've got to break a world record now. Oh. <laughs> uh. And then she probably went, "Oh, mum, mum, oh, oh, god, it's embarrassing." Oh. <laughs> but that was the thing; she didn't tell anyone about it at school because she she thought it would be embarrassing and be seen as a negative rather than yeah, a positive. But, but I think that's, 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 I think that's more in the nature of the sport, isn't it? That's like, you know, if you do a sport that other people don't do, you know, it's something people don't understand, then they don't, you know, like if you're in a mixed netball team or something, you don't go rushing back and telling everyone at school if it's not perfectly acceptable. Are you, are you in a mixed <laughs> I was in a mixed netball team. <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> they didn't. We didn't have a basketball team. Were you at our the school. cheerleader? No, the, the cheer, the male cheerleader of a mixed netball team. <laughs> I couldn't even make it into the team. I was a, a cheerleader. You please, didn't have I want to get involved. I, I want to get involved netball. somehow. Please, please. <laughs> 
Wow, this is interesting. This this says a lot about your psychology. Your psychology, I'd say. Um, no, no, but this is. But I, I think that's more to do with the sport rather than the fact that I, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? Where I don't suppose everything's connected now. It's much much easier to like when someone does something to ever do it. Where when you go and do something, you don't realize you know something like that. People don't realize the the significance of it. I mean, it's a thirteen year old doing something that they found pretty easy. Mm. On their first attempt, <laughs> I would have thought it would because essentially, you know, Catherine Switzer at the time was in all the press. It was massive news, and so you'd have thought that people would understand that it's quite hard or that it's quite a big deal. So even just saying, you know, that Kath- Catherine Switzer, yeah, I just did that, beat her. Yeah, but where? So where? I, I didn't pick up at the start. Where? Where did this happen? Oh, that's a good question. Because then I think this is going to tell you everything you need to know about uh, why about about why we don't know about this. Yeah, it's in Canada. Of course, we don't know about it. Yeah. Oh, there we. <laughs> yeah. Until Justin Justin Trudeau came along. Trudeau. <laughs> I changed that until Brian Adams came along. <laughs> yeah. Canada was unknown outside of the Canadian borders, um, but that shows how how um, amazingly supportive her family were. The fact that she went to Scotland to race cross country as a as a teenager—that's fantastic. That's quite. There's quite a big connection, isn't there, between Canada and Scotland? Though I think, like my 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 family is Scottish. They went to Canada, and then they came back from Canada. There's a thing, isn't there? There's like a connection, um, mainly being subjugated by the English. That's the connection. Yeah, um, yeah. For which yeah. we apologise. Yeah, do we? Mm. but um yeah well and 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 hopefully this will become a story that is well known in the future and is recognized and takes its rightful place in history because i mean this if people are talking about women not being ready to run a marathon because their uteruses are going to drop out this just kicks it. this blows the bloody doors off doesn't it did did anyone's uterus ever drop out i mean the thing is that, that was there some kind of basis in any kind of fact i'd like to because I, I don't know whether like it just a bloke's got together one and went oh you know what happens when women run uterus fell falls out and they're like oh did you see that happen oh yeah mate of mine his uh, his <laughs> wife did some running and her uterus fell out I mean, I'm not even sure that most men would even know what that looked like or even know what a uterus is, to be honest. Um, I, th- even th- I thought that's how you got on the, on the netball team, you said. <laughs> no, I'm not good enough. My uterus has fallen out, therefore I can get on. <laughs> no, you were there. I'm here to help you, to protect you against... I'm here to protect you against, yeah, again, against misogyny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, what a guest, what a legend, and, um, well... I Briggsy, buy me that book for Christmas, please. Thank you very much. There we go. And we're going to put. I like that sound. Is quite that sounded a little bit sex, a little bit misogynist there. Like Briggsy, slap your fingers, buy me that. <laughs> well, no, no, she never knows what to get me for Christmas. So perfect. And this can we can start our bad boy running book club. And this is book of the year, first book. So we're we're going to put a link to, I think the Amazon listing of the book you can buy it in the uk um if anyone wants to buy it because it's a great story fun and there's quite a few stories you didn't get to link of course (laughs) oh sorry say again affiliate link of course (laughs) i don't think it is i think this is just straight up by the book yeah 
Well, um, if you've like listed this episode, trying to think of other ones which are comparable. In terms of world records, we've had quite a few world record breakers. Um, we've had... how many how many pioneers have we had? I suppose um, we've had quite a few pioneers. In uh, I mean, like this. I mean, this is such a big one, isn't it? That's the thing. Yeah, this is such a big one. It's, like, it's a world record in a marathon. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, this is... It's not like it's keep... even, even like a... Th- or work, it was a world record on a marathon in a Batman outfit or, 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 <laughs> some, or some weird, you know, other, other uh, variation of that. This is just a straight-out world record in a marathon. At the age of 13. That's the thing. It's still, <laughs> it's still crazy. The, just try to think of that now. If you, if you, if you imagine Kipchoge being there and then think of a 13-year-old you know... And they rocked up next to him, and they went one fifty-eight. It's the equivalent of that. Yeah, amazing. Well, if you if you like listening to people who broke world records, we spoke to Zach Bitter, who broke the hundred-mile world record a couple of months ago. Spoke to Camille Heron, who's broken the hundred-mile world record. She, just, she all she does is break records, Camille. She doesn't 20. know. She doesn't know how to run a race without breaking a record. Sure, it's true. It's true. Um, we spoke to Courtney DeWalter who used to have the record before before Camille oh god that's a bit awkward isn't it um, and we spoke to Paul Ratcliffe who had a world record I think in something at some point not Paul Ratcliffe Paul Ratcliffe when did we speak to Paul Ratcliffe we're going to speak to Paul Ratcliffe (laughs) (laughs) I love it let's just make up yeah make sure you listen to that episode people scouring around for days just it's hidden within another episode we haven't, no, no, said which, no, we haven't no, said no, which no, one no, is the Paul Redcliffe yeah. episode. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, talking absolutely driven as usual. So, um, well, any, any you'd recommend, J.D.? No, no, I'd recommend those ones. I would actually also recommend the um, episode, I can't remember his name, the episode of the guy who uh, ran a marathon with no training. That is, that is a great episode. That was, I believe, Mr. is either Ian Stewart or Miss Stewart. <laughs> or Ian, or Ian, Ian McNamara. Ian McNamara. Ian McNamara. That's like, or Mr. Stewart. Why, why are we all of a sudden so formal with him? <laughs> Ian McNamara. And that was McNamara, a that's it. that was a bet that went horribly wrong, but also horribly horribly right. Um less training and boy did his performance reflect that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in a good way. Well, well to be way. fair to be fair. Her training wasn't particularly great, and her performance didn't reflect that. Yeah, and it sounded like she didn't even run yeah. very hard for herself. Um, yeah. Until that joker of a mum did that classic. <laughs> right, I'm going to do that next time you're in a marathon. <laughs> you could do that. It's not. I'm still. It'll still be the same time. <laughs> I'm sprinting as hard as I can. <laughs> Well, thanks for listening, everyone. If you've enjoyed this, we've got uh, many other great episodes to listen to. Please subscribe. Please leave us a lovely review on iTunes if uh, you'd be so kind. And uh, come join us in the Bad Boy Running Facebook group to find out about new stories that we post in there. You could join the Running the Running Club if that so inspires you. I'm not sure why you would. Um, <laughs> people like it. People like it. <laughs> But I guess we'll see you next time, won't we? <laughs> see you later. Bye 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 bye
Fuck you, buddy. 